Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The cheerleaders at a gym in Buffalo have been recording themselves. What's up? To make a new documentary. We're the so-called news reporters. Because one year ago, a mass shooting changed their lives. He just walked around and shot all the black people. The cheer squad, most of whom are black, had to figure out how to go on and how to compete. I wanted the win for them more than anything this season. Listen to the Embedded podcast from NPR within the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect, but in reality... This guy is a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of a man who's fascinated me. His name was Sweet Daddy Grace, and that's a name you don't forget. 
He was a visionary who built a fortune as a black man during Jim Crow, during the Depression. But today, not many people know about him. Erased, sort of wiped out, and I wonder if this was done intentionally. Listen to Sweet Daddy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sreera. And I'm Aarti. We have spent the last 20 years building and working at some of the largest companies in the world. We worked with some remarkable people, Rob McElhinney. When I see the people of Wrexham, I grew up exactly like them. Check out the Aarti and Sriram show. That is A-A-R-T-H-I and S-R-I-R-A-M show. Listen to the Aarti and Sriram show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No Wagner family DNA was found at the crime scene. Does it matter to this case? I would say that they absolutely need some sort of physical evidence. It clearly isn't happening with the DNA. It's the shoe prints and it's the ballistics. That's what they've got. Jurors' eyes were glued to the latest witness to testify in George Wagner IV's murder trial. This is the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County. Season 4, Episode 9, Connecting the Dots. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. It's important to note that George Wagner has pleaded not guilty and has maintained he did not kill anyone. His father, Billy Wagner, whose trial is upcoming, has also pleaded not guilty to all charges. Here's Stephanie and Jeff speaking about some of the revelations from the autopsy results. They mentioned Dr. Karen Lumen, who you may remember is the forensic pathologist who performed all eight autopsies and testified at the trial. How were three people at Dana Roden's home shot in their sleep? I just am trying to wrap my head around how the perpetrators were able to walk around the home shooting one person at a time without waking anyone else up. And also one thing that I thought was interesting about Lumen's testimony was how she determined that some of the shots fired that night were what she called at intermediate range, which is essentially anywhere between three inches and three feet from someone, and then others weren't. She said that's based on something called stippling or actual evidence of damage to the victim based on how close the muzzle of the gun was to the victim itself. Some victims had that and were seemingly shot at close range, but some didn't. So the choreographing of all of that seems so complicated. Who was where, when? This morning, lead prosecutor Angie Canepa begins by addressing exactly this question. Back on the stand is Dr. Karen Lumen speaking about Hannah Hazel Gilley's injuries. Can you tell us where was gunshot wound number one located? On the diagram, number one is on the far left. It looks like it's on the right forehead. It's a little more on the side of the forehead. Doctor, can you tell us what did you determine the distance to be of that gunshot wound? That is uh, intermediate. And again, that intermediate is somewhere, not contact or lose contact, but somewhere less than three feet, correct? Yes. Okay. Shots two, three, and four were indeterminate, while shot five was again close range, or what she calls intermediate. When you conducted your examination of Hannah Roden, how many gunshot wounds did you observe her to have? 
two. And can you tell us if you determined a distance? Yes. And what was that? It was indeterminate. Kanepa has a chart where she keeps track of the myriad of gunshots, some at a distance, some close, all while the victims were asleep. Then she brings up the idea of how this might be affected by the use of a silencer. And Dr. Lohman, I believe you testified to this before, but do you know or do you have an opinion if there was a silencer used on a weapon, could that possibly impact your distance determinations? It possibly could, yes. Okay. The defense has no choice but to address the introduction of a possible use of a silencer as well. On the last, one of the last points the prosecutor made, the silence, how would that impact your determination of distance? A silencer in general uh, would fit around or in the area of the muzzle and it could capture some of the soot or stippling that normally would have landed on clothes or the body, it may capture that. So if I understand what you're saying, the, sh the distance could actually be closer than what you have observed. Uh, yes. This is a turning point in the trial. It's the first of many loose threads that the prosecution finally begins to weave together for a jury, a public, and a media weary after weeks of detail-specific testimony. So far, the prosecution has worked in a meticulous, linear fashion, laying out the grisly narrative that they want the jury to consider. Here's law and crime reporter Anjanette Levy. I've covered a lot of trials in my career, a lot of criminal cases, but I've never seen one presented in this fashion in court where it's all chronological or goes in chronological order of the investigation. You know, it was a two and a half year investigation between the time of the homicides and the arrests. Sometimes it just feels like we're bouncing around a lot. You know, it'll be up to the jury to determine whether or not that was a good strategy. I've often wondered, are they confused by this? Here's James Pilcher, longtime investigative reporter in Cincinnati, now with Local 12. When it comes to physical evidence, it's the shoe prints and it's the ballistics. That's what they've got. And this is exactly how the prosecution begins to connect the dots and tighten the noose on George and the Wagner family. Today, prosecutors present some of the most crucial evidence yet in the trial of George Wagner IV in the Pike County Massacre. Local 12's James Pilcher reports on key footprints that were found at the scene. Susan Elliott, a shoe print specialist for the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation at the time of the murders, declined to be on camera with her testimony. But she matched footprints found at the first crime scene with an actual shoe style in size. Jurors' eyes were glued to the latest witness to testify in George Wagner IV's murder trial as she opened large pizza boxes. Inside, pieces of flooring cut from one of the Pike County crime scenes, the trailer on Union Hill Road where Chris Roden Sr. and Gary Roden were murdered. She said these impressions that have since been enhanced were not in the crime lab's shoe database. You may recall from last season the testimony of shoe print expert William Bodziak during pretrial motions. Bodziak, who worked on the O.J. Simpson case, stated that investigators finally found the model shoe that made the prints at Walmart. It was Susan Elliott who made the actual discovery. James Pilcher. She's the one who found it all. 
she was the one that knew it'll be looking out for the Walmart shoes because she remembered, you know, our shoe print expert found these shoes at Walmart, so we need to be looking for anything from Walmart. Here is testimony from Brian Scheiderer, head BCI investigator who provided testimony the same day about how they use that information. As a result of learning that you were looking for a size 11 shoe that you, you believed belonged to whoever committed these murders, or at least one of the individuals, what did you guys do in response to that information? It was decided that we would contact the Walmarts within a 50-mile radius of Pike County and ask for all their records for transactions involving that shoe dated back to January 1st of 2016. And in addition to getting the records um, of any transactions, uh, did you also get a request and receive video surveillance that uh, corresponded with those? Yes, yes. As we know from previous episodes, this is how the recorded video of Angela buying the same model shoes was found. Subsequently, they then seized a receipt from the purchase. Here's Jeff speaking with Mike Allen. And your expertise as a lawyer, how big is this piece of evidence? It's really big because you've got the, the, the receipt for purchasing them. They match up in size. And then, of course, you've got the bloody footprint uh, in one of the trailers. So it's very strong evidence. And um, I think that's something that the jury's going to be thinking about. And do you think, you know, without DNA evidence, this shoe print is maybe the closest thing we have how much weight can the prosecution put on it oh i think they can put a lot of weight on it i mean the uh, odds of it being some kind of coincidence are, are just in the millions so i think they'll put a lot of weight on it it's real strong evidence for the state what's the defense's counter argument to this how do they defend the shoe print I guess you would have to argue that it's a pretty popular brand of shoe at Walmart. You'd have to do your homework in it. Um, I don't know any other way to do that because, like I said, it's such strong evidence. You'd have to argue that, well, you know, it is what it is. But they're in a real tough position on that one. I don't know how they're going to do it. You're just going to have to argue coincidence. And I don't think the jury's going to buy that. Here's forensic death investigator. Joseph Scott Morgan. Well, for me, shoe prints tell everything. The shoe prints are indicative of purpose. They're indicative of thought and care being taken when it comes to planning. Because from where do these shoe prints originate? Well, they originated from a pair of shoes that were purchased for the sole purpose of uh, you know, following through with this horrible plan. We've already got Angela Wagner actually stating that she purchased these shoes. And for them to have the utility to go out, for them to commit these crimes. Next, Andrew Wilson turns to ballistics. Mr. White, where do you work? I work at the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, also known as BCI, in London, Ohio. We have been able to gather from preliminary motions um, and prosecution filings that there is a connection, they, they assert, um, between shell casings found at at least one of the crime scenes and weapons linked back to the Wagner family. So we do expect that this ballistics expert will prove uh, very important to this case. 
White is a striking presence on the stand. He wears a broad-shouldered black three-piece suit and sports a wide, flat beard that ends midway down his chest. When Matt White comes to work in London, Ohio at BCI, what does he do every day? My primary duties involve the examination of firearms to determine their operability, as well as looking at fired ammunition components, be it a fired cartridge case or a fired bullet. I can perform microscopic examinations to determine if they've been fired in or from a particular firearm, and if not, I can generate a potential list of firearms that could have been fired from. I want to take you back to April of 2016. April 2016, at some point, were you asked to examine some evidence that had been collected as part of an investigation of an eight-person homicide in Pike County? Yes, I was. And can you tell the jury, how were you initially brought into this case or asked to assist? Uh, my supervisors uh, notified us that there was a, a larger case that was coming into the laboratory, and I just happened to be the person selected to work the case at the time. White goes on to testify that he identified two types of bullets at Chris Sr.'s home. 30 caliber bullets from a high-profiled rifle and 40 caliber bullets from an unknown firearm. Crime scene two, the home of Frankie Roden and Hannah Hazel Gilly, was a different story. Were several of the items that you examined from this scene shell casings that had been recovered by the crime scene unit? Yes, they were. Yes, this is one fired 22 long rifle cartridge case. The fact that that cartridge has the name long rifle, does that mean that it has to be or can only be fired out of a rifle? No, certainly not. A 20 long rifle uh, cartridge is generic. It can be fired in a pistol, a revolver, a rifle, uh, any firearm that's designed to actually fire that specific cartridge. Were you also asked to examine items that came from scene three? Yes, I was. Was one of the items that you were asked to look at with respect to scene three a shell casing that was our cartridge casing that was recovered from under a crib in this uh, residence. Yes, that's correct. This is a fired 22 long rifle cartridge case, Remington brand, with a rectangular wedge-shaped firing pin impression. That item had the same general class characteristics as the shell casings that you just testified to from scene two? Yes, that's correct. And again, are those consistent with the other projectiles recovered at autopsy of the other victims of scene three and the other victims of scene two. Yes, they are. Stephanie and Jeff. So we have two types of bullets found at the scene. We have 30 caliber high-powered rifle bullets and 40 caliber bullets found in Chris Sr.'s home. And we know from Fortner's testimony last week that the 30 calibers were sprayed from outside the trailer and the 40s were found to have gone through the floor and into the dirt below the home. So they were shot inside. Now here's where it gets confusing because at Frankie and Dana Roden's homes, they found 22 caliber bullets. Does that mean that whoever did this, whether it's one person or many people, did they do that by switching out guns mid murder scene? Or does that mean they almost divided and conquered and that different family members were using different guns and that they were committing these murders simultaneously? They moved on to crime scene four, Kenneth Roden's house. If you recall, there was only one shot fired. State's exhibit 
D282, uh, you've already opened her up. Uh, do you recognize the, uh, the markings on that package? Yes, uh, laboratory number, item number, and my initials. And were you able to examine that item and reach any conclusion with respect to brand and caliber associated with that? Yes, I was able to conclude this is a fired 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge case, Hornady brand. Were you asked to make some comparisons in this case to determine whether or not uh, certain pieces of, of evidence had been fired by the same weapon at each scene? Yes, I was. Were you able to reach a conclusion to a reasonable degree of scientific certainty as to whether or not the 40 caliber shell casing at scene one was fired from the same firearm that fired the 40 caliber shell casing at scene four? Yes, based on my microscopic comparison, examining the two fired 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge cases, I was able to conclude the two fired 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge cases had been fired in the same firearm. Media outlets jumped on the breaking news. Today, prosecutors turned to the bullets used in all eight murders. The casings included a 40 caliber shell found on Chris Sr.'s kitchen floor. He also showed the bullets retrieved from the victim's bodies. His testimony came after another BCI agent walked through the crime scene where police found Chris Sr.'s brother, Kenneth Roden, shot in his bed. Agents also found a 40 caliber shell in his bed. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcasts. What in the hell is going on in here? Everyone has their limits. I'd never confronted a situation like this. I just thought it was just a really terrible, immoral thing. A line they won't cross. I was stunned, and I just said, no. We're killing people. You may never have to face that decision. When you find yourself at that line. Thoughts racing, hearts racing. And somebody needs to just, for once, give everybody the whole truth. I'm like, this is evil. And the only person who can sound the alarm is you. I wasn't just going to sit silently by. From iHeart Podcasts, these are the whistleblowers. If you are disloyal. Bad things are going to happen. If you speak out. Disgrace to our country. Evil pay. He should be prosecuted. When power corrupts, conscience is the last line of defense. I'm Miles Taylor. Listen to The Whistleblowers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Laverne Cox. I'm an actress, producer, fashionista, and host of The Laverne Cox Show. You may remember my award-winning first season... 
I've been pretty busy, but there's always time to talk to incredible guests about important things. People like me have been screaming for years, we got to watch the Supreme Court. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. They will take things away. And I can only hope that Dobbs is that, like, Pearl Harbor moment. Girl, you and I both know what it took to just get through the day in New York City and get home in one piece. And so the fact that we're here and what you've achieved and what I've achieved, you know, that's momentous. It's not just us sitting around complaining about some bills. The only reason that you might think, as Chase said, that we're always miserable is because people are constantly attacking us and we're constantly noticing it. Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share. Hi, this is Paris Hilton. Some of the best times of my life have been spent inside of nightclubs, singing, dancing, and being free to truly be myself. And now I'm the executive producer of a new show, The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs. I wanted a show that represented freedom, joy, and hope. And there is no one better to host than someone who has inspired me for so many years with her musical talent. I'm Alternate, and I've been in the music industry for three decades. I'm a singer, songwriter, and musician. And now I'm inviting you to join me on this global nightclub journey. We'll dive into the origins of genres that broke the industry and uncover the stories of legendary DJs, all through the eyes of the people who partied at the height of club culture. Listen to the history of the world's greatest nightclubs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next day, the prosecution picks up once again with testimony from Matthew White. Andrew Wilson is intent on further closing the loop on the physical ballistic evidence. In addition to that information that you passed on to the investigators, did you do further work or further analysis to try to determine what kind of 22 or what kind of 40 uh, was involved in these homicides? Yes, oftentimes if I'm encountered evidence and there's no firearm submitted, I can look at certain features of the uh, fired cartridge cases or the fired bullets to give a possible list of firearms that could have fired them to aid investigators and in what they should be looking for. In the case of the 22, he pinpoints the probable gun used. I was able to uh, examine other examples of test fires taken with Walter 1911 22 pistols. I was able to physically examine a couple different uh, of the specific guns. I was able to disassemble them, look at them further, uh, examine the firing pin itself, take additional test fires for comparison. Uh, in addition to that, I corresponded with a design engineer at Walther in Germany. Uh, about the shape, the orientation of the firing pin impression. He was able to look at some stock uh, examples at the factory of firearms that they were producing, and he agreed and concurred that the, the shape of the firing pin impression and the orientation of it was consistent with the firearms that they produced, the Walther Colt 1911-22 pistols. In the case of the 40 caliber, he pulls up an enlargement of the bullet casing, pointing out marks around the base of it. You can see the firing pin impression itself 
It's elliptical. It is not circular in shape. Those two features are very common with Glock firearms. So based on those observations, again, did you begin to feel that a Glock firearm or a 40 cal Glock was responsible for shooting the shell casings recovered from scene one and scene four? Yes, Glock is by far the most common firearm encountered that has those two characteristics. Next, the prosecution asks a key question of White. But at that time, when you were doing your initial work in this case, did you have a firearm that had been collected as evidence to compare uh, from the scene or from a suspect? No, I did not. To understand the recovery of the Wagner's firearms, Brian Scheiderer is asked to step back and give the jury a big picture on how they began their investigation. Remember, at the time, BCI did not yet know the Wagners were involved. Back to that very first day, you responded to the sheriff's office, you interviewed some people, then what happened? Then what did you do? Things were still very confusing at that time. There was a lot of information coming in, as, as you can expect. Uh, the media was on scene at the time, so this had went uh, statewide as well as national. So uh, eventually we went back to the Piketon Police Department and we tried to organize things. Like we knew this was going to be in for the, we were going to be in for the long haul on this. We're trying to say, here's what we had at the crime scenes, here's what the families told us, and here's tips that are coming in. That's all happening extremely fast. Like it's overwhelming, it overloads you. It's coming in so fast. We also established a tip system because we had so many tips coming in. Ultimately, I believe we had 1,143 tips that came in through the end of the investigation to the arrest, and all 1,143 of those tips were, were investigated and cleared. And so how was that tip system established? They would mark the tip, it would get assigned to an agent, and the agent would go out, investigate the tip, and respond back and report his or her findings. At some point, they received a tip about the Wagner's collection of firearms. Here's Jeff speaking with Mike Allen. Does law enforcement have to verify who sent the tip, or does it not matter if it, if it checks out? You mean when the tip comes in, try to figure out who it is? Yeah, like if they got a tip that, oh, you should search this property because there might be weapons there. If that tip checks out, does it matter who called it in? In theory, wouldn't they want to track that person down because that's a good witness, or they don't care? They probably would have to have more than that. You know, they get a tip like that, they'd have to develop it somewhat. You know, just some Tom, Dick, or Harry calling and saying, hey, you know, I think there's a bunch of uh, evidence and weapons down there at, at Joe Jones's house. The, the cops will have to have more than that. You just use the term develop the tip. I've never heard that. What does that mean? You know, perhaps try to find out whatever this witness said, maybe go to the place, uh, check it out, maybe talk to other people. I just think that would be very weak to go to a judge and ask for a search warrant just based on a completely anonymous tip. That They would have to bolster that somehow. It was enough to get warrants to search the Wagner's property. We also talked about you seeking um, court orders for various phone records and Facebook records and any other records? That Correct. Okay. And can you tell us kind of at what point did that start to happen and what kinds of information were you receiving that led you to turn your attention to them? 
takes a long time to examine those things. Um, you know, many of those files are extremely large, several thousand pages. It is these electronic records that lead BCI to Jake Wagner via social media posts about custody of his and Hannah Mae Roden's young child. When we first made contact with Jake Wagner, uh, he had indicated that everything was okay, that he had a good relationship with Hannah and there was no issues involving their child that they shared together. So that, that was a little suspicious. It warranted a little further investigation, obviously. But we were also conducting an interviews of friends and family who were reporting a similar you know, situation. So um, you kind of have conflicting stories, right? You have one side that's saying everything's OK, and then you have records and family members and friends that are saying that's not true. So that kind of, you know, you need to investigate that. That's important. That's a lead. That's, that's something that needs to be ran down. And so that's what we started to do. Did you also look at Jake's phone and did you find anything of interest on that phone? Yes. And can you tell us what you found? And again, these were expedited reviews of these records. It wasn't like we had days to go through these. We literally downloaded these phones and started going through them quickly. But one of the most interesting things that we found on Jake's phone at that time was under the notes section, and it was a list of guns owned by the Wagners or purported to be. Uh, so basically there's a list with each Wagner's name and then a list of guns underneath each of those names. At this point, the defense objects and everyone approaches Judge Deering upon request. They consult briefly, and Deering Rule's testimony can continue. Thank you, Your Honor. Agent Scheider, I'm going to show you what his, is going to be marked as State's Exhibit HH2. Okay, and can you tell us, first of all, Agent Scheider, what are we looking at? This was, again, this is a, an extraction report, or a snippet of a, an extraction report uh, related to Jake's iPhone that we took in May of 17. And this was found in the notes section of the phone. And it is a list of firearms and associated Wagner names. Go through those and tell us um, which guns are listed belonging, belonging to who. And what date was that list created? Pursuant to the report, it's a, I'm having trouble seeing that. February 11th, 2015. OK. Thank you. And go ahead and tell us what Guns are listed there. Starting at the top, the list starts with George's, indicating possession. And it says Glock 17, 9mm, Beretta 96, 40 caliber, Taurus, Revolver 357, Remington 514, 22, Ruger M77-270, Ruger M77-22 Hornet, Remington Woodmaster 30-06, Ruger M77-22, CZ-22, and SKS 7.62 by 39. And who else is listed on that list? Moms, dads, and Jake's. Okay. That is that the extent of the list that was extracted from the phone belonging to Jake Wagner? Yes. That you seized pursuant to a search warrant? Yes. Let's stop here for another break. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. 
Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcasts. What in the hell is going on in here? Everyone has their limits. I'd never confronted a situation like this. I just thought it was just a really terrible, immoral thing. A line they won't cross. I was stunned, and I just said, no. We're killing people. You may never have to face that decision. When you find yourself at that line. Thoughts racing, hearts racing. And somebody needs to just, for once, give everybody the whole truth. I'm like, this is evil. And the only person who can sound the alarm is you. I wasn't just going to sit silently by. From iHeart Podcasts, these are the whistleblowers. If you are disloyal. Bad things are going to happen. If you speak out. Disgrace to our country. You will pay. He should be prosecuted. When power corrupts, conscience is the last line of defense. I'm Miles Taylor. Listen to The Whistleblowers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Laverne Cox. I'm an actress, producer, fashionista, and host of The Laverne Cox Show. You may remember my award-winning first season. I've been pretty busy, but there's always time to talk to incredible guests about important things. People like me have been screaming for years, we got to watch the Supreme Court. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. They will take things away. And I can only hope that Dobbs is that, like, Pearl Harbor moment. Girl, you and I both know what it took to just get through the day in New York City and get home in one piece. And so the fact that we're here and what you've achieved and what I've achieved, you know, that's momentous. It's not just us sitting around complaining about some bills. The only reason that you might think, as Chase said, that we're always miserable is because people are constantly attacking us and we're constantly noticing it. Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share. Hey, everybody. We know there are a ton of podcasts out there. Well, we have one we would love for you to check out. It is called the Pen Pals Podcast with Daniel Van Kirk and Rory Scovel. We are both stand-up comedians. We're actors. We're writers. But now, most of all, we are your pen pals. Every single episode, we get two letters that we read from our listeners, our new pen pals. It can be about anything going on in their life. And sometimes we're also joined by guests like Will Ferrell. I'm going to bring you up in front of the group, and I'm going to punch you as hard as I can in the stomach. Rose. Burn. This is it. West Hollywood. We keep it clean. Judd Apatow. If you yeah. use like Beats by Dre, is that mm-hmm. considered Andy Mandel? Conan O'Brien. I'm just showing you that my mind is quick, if not that funny. And Mandy Moore. We're all crossing the line together. Listen to the Pen Pals podcast on Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sincerely, your new Pen Pals, Daniel Van Kirk and Rory Scovel.
Here's Jeff speaking with Mike Allen. He pretty much figured out what the firearms were through the, obviously the help of the coroner, what the uh, what the rounds showed, what kind of weapon they were fired from. And, you know, they got a real break on uh, on Jake's phone when they got the search warrant for that and found on the notes portion just about every gun that the family had and it matched up. Again, that was just good old fashioned police work. Not a lot of technology in that. What do you make of uh, Jake Wagner writing all this stuff down? stupid uh it, it was just stupid why would you do that you know in many ways i think he covered his tracks or at least tried to cover his tracks pretty well but it's it, just stupid i guess he just wanted to keep track of what everybody had and my goodness you talk about an arsenal <laughs> they had just about any kind of weapon you can think of owning a lot of guns though does not necessarily make you guilty of murder it definitely does not make you guilty of murder, but it's a piece of the puzzle, especially when two of the weapons that he had on that list were the type of weapons that were used to commit these murders. When you can tie a weapon or weapons you know, to a homicide, that's big. I mean, it's, it's good evidence. The jury wants to hear that, so it's strong evidence. More on that next time. We're going to take a short break. The Python Massacre returns with all new episodes starting Wednesday, January 4th. With Angela and Jake Wagner taking the stand, there's much more to uncover. And the biggest bombshells are yet to come. Is the defense ready? Yes. You wish to call a witness at this time then? Yes, Your Honor. We call George Wagner the fourth. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Pikes and Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Scott DeGraw, Andrew Arnau, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Astin. The Pikes and Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect. But in reality, this guy is a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sreera. And I'm Aarti. We have spent the last 20 years building and working at some of the largest companies in the world. We worked with some remarkable people. Rob McElhinney. When I see the people of Wrexham, I grew up exactly like them. Check out the Arthi and Sriram show. That is A-A-R-T-H-I and S-R-I-R-A-M show. Listen to the Arthi and Sriram show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Daly. For years, I've been on the road playing shows and seeing America through live music. This summer, I'll hit the stage with season two of Sound of Our Town. Ten cities, 12 episodes, every other Thursday. We explore the live music venues and culture of a new American city with each new episode. 
Our tour continues into the kind of venues you want to get to when you land in Detroit, Providence, Denver, or Seattle. Listen to Sound of Our Town on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a story of a man who's fascinated me. His name was Sweet Daddy Grace, and that's a name you don't forget. He was a visionary who built a fortune as a black man during Jim Crow, during the Depression. But today, not many people know about him. Erased, sort of wiped out, and I wonder if this was done intentionally. Listen to Sweet Daddy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 